they may even see, oh, you know, they have a cyber insurance policy that will pay $100,000 worth mm-hmm. of breach money. So then what do you think they're going to price the breach at? $100,000. Probably exactly $100,000, right? Mm-hmm. Or maybe one hundred and five, just to really be <laughs> jerks. be a dick. Yeah. <laughs> I'm Jamie O'Kane, CPA, small business advanced tax planning and compliance extraordinaire. And this is the Abundant Beans Podcast, the podcast that takes my love for learning what makes people tick while digging into the good, bad, and ugly of small business ownership. We strive to give you the insight that only those in the trenches of being and working with entrepreneurs can provide. I would like to welcome to the podcast, Mr. Brian Gill. Brian is a computer scientist, entrepreneur, and angel investor. Brian currently serves as chairman of Gilware, which provides cyber risk assessments, data recovery, incidents response, and digital forensic services. He is a co-founder of Phoenix Nuclear Labs and served on PNL's board from inception to when it decided to spin off Shine Medical Technologies. These two companies have raised over $100 million of venture, venture capital and employ hundreds of people in Wisconsin. Welcome. Hey, how's it going? Good. Thanks for uh, spending time with me today. Dude, we could get talk. some let's we get some talk. beans. And we can let's do beans. <laughs> let's save some beans today. <laughs> save some people's beans. Let's, let's That's the idea. There. I know. So Brian and I were just having a long conversation about um, you know, a tax software company and some of the stuff they're going through right now that I'm we're just seeing on the computer and on the consumer end, which is really interesting. Um Yeah, yeah. and 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 there's a to go back and it's, you know, because you're in this world. I mean, yeah. there was a, we had a client in that same community, smaller mm-hmm. scope than the mm-hmm. current crisis. Mm-hmm. Um, and it basically, you know, we were, we ended up, you know, getting them their own data back that would mm-hmm. had been encrypted by a bunch of cyber criminals, mm-hmm. but the cyber criminals had also exfiltrated the data. They stole the data, they downloaded mm-hmm. it and filed taxes for all their clients. That's literally my nightmare. Yeah. So what happened was, so they, they call us in like, mm-hmm. Hey, we're having some trouble with our systems or whatever. Mm-hmm. And we get in there and it's like, Oh, it's because it's all encrypted. Cause there's been some criminals on your network for and months, right? You for about seven months. And they had filed change of addresses with the U S postal service for all of their clients to a PO box in Florida. And, uh, filed taxes for all of them with approximately three to $5,000 refunds. So they filed them on purpose such that, Hey, they each client had overpaid approximately three to five grand, which is possibly under some like IRS threshold of yeah decision-making. Um, it's and, uh, So here's, so here's what, what's interesting to me is they did that in a way that the IRS didn't come out, like ask, for, ask any questions. Well, the so IRS they, is so not they, like tied into like the, the right. USPS is the problem. Right? Well, right. But what I'm saying is they filed the returns in a way that was not questionable. Do you see what I'm saying? So they had enough tax law knowledge. Oh, yeah. To not set off the the IRS um, diff scores. It's called a diff score. So a diff okay. score is when um, something on the return sets off a basically a red flag and then everything stops and they send you a letter. So they had enough knowledge of how to file the tax returns to get a refund of that amount without setting off diff scores. 
Well, and you and I would hope that at some point the USPS back end and the IRS back end, like right. that should be also a red flag. Like, mm-hmm. uh, why did like 400 individual companies all just file change addresses to the same spot? Right. Or you the know? IRS like is would think, why am I sending refunds to this one place? Well, they didn't know that they were sending them to the to the client, and the USPS oh, was, was forwarding it to Florida. <laughs> Oh my god! Yeah, it's a mess. Um, but yeah, how they, smart is that though? So, but still, like to me, it's just boggling my mind that they filed all these returns without setting off. Well, and I'm sure I'm sure some of them probably got caught by the maybe, IRS, and maybe. they didn't fully monetize. But they monetized a couple different ways in that case. They monetized mm-hmm. some of those refund checks, and then they also monetized. Uh, you know, obviously the the ransom got paid. Yeah. Um, but then that that's a that was a company that was decades old with dozens of CPAs and gone. <laughs> I mean, you would fire you if you had had that happen. You know, if I was your client mm-hmm. and- I would and, expect you to. And everybody's like, oh, okay. It's time to find a different yeah. provider. I would just shut everything down and so you go just, find a job. You know, this stuff is, and what's going on is the the bad guys themselves who breach the networks are super smart. Mm-hmm. Um, or at least they have bought very sophisticated sometimes kits to mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. be smart on their behalf mm-hmm. and then they usually sell that infiltration to other smart people based on the, the you know they get a little bit of lay of the land and they're like oh cool it's one of these companies and let's put it up for kind of auction on the dark web and see who wants to buy this breach you know i am just the the, the tax filing knowledge just get like part of that just continues to boggle, boggle my mind. Like well, and, they had to know what they were doing on the tax. Well, numbers. and they really spent, again, in a lot of these breaches, they spend a lot of time learning a lot about the business, not mm-hmm. just the businessy stuff, but then mm-hmm. also like researching if they have a insurance policy and if they have a cyber insurance policy, if those documents are on the network, mm-hmm. they may even see, oh, you know, they have a cyber insurance policy that will pay $100,000 worth mm-hmm. of breach money. So then what do you think they're going to price the breach at? $100,000. Probably exactly $100,000, right? Mm-hmm. Or maybe one hundred and five, just to really be <laughs> jerks. be a dick. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so it's, you know, so they learn a lot about that and they spend a long time on the network itself, understanding, okay, this is how backups get made, mm-hmm. right? They're, they're over on this service over here and maybe they don't have access to that backup right away mm-hmm. and they'll basically install key logging software on a bunch of IT people's boxes and wait until they get those credentials to that backup server or till they get those credentials to that like golden key pass like if you're kind of a bad monkey you might have like one key pass password database that has everything and they'll just sit there with a the key logger and wait until somebody gives them the keys to that kingdom Sometimes they'll even just use social engineering. So they'll, they might just pick up the phone and call the backup provider and say, Hey, you know, this is Bob and uh, I'm account one, two, three, four, five, and I've switched to a different service and I need you to shut me down and delete all my stuff. And maybe they know enough tricks to basically trick that cloud service provider to, to do that. I mean, it's, they will use, a large bag of tricks and they're very sophisticated um, both in the infiltration and what they do afterwards. It's super duper scary. It is super duper scary, but also it just kind of feels like 
some point something's gonna happen you know like it's almost like inevitable like we can do everything we could potentially do and we're supposed to do that but it also just feels like maybe they're smarter than us <laughs> i don't think we want to shut civilization down necessarily <laughs> well no i'm not saying that i'm just I've, I've considered it um <laughs> you know especially with what you see i mean it's a mess it's an absolute mess and you know we make our livings digging companies out of these types of disasters yeah i get it um i do too but it's like i was watching <laughs> disasters I, I was watching the incredibles with my son the other day and like in the opening scene of incredibles there's you know mr incredible is like can't the world just stay saved for five minutes you know and i'm like man i get that right you know i was like this movie is good this movie is good i get it <laughs> I'm Mr. Incredible. <laughs> I'm not Mr. Incredible, but you know, I just can relate to that feeling of like, man, like I'm happy we're busy because I'm a business owner and mm -hmm. we like to be busy because we like to make money and we like to make our shareholders happy and all those things. Yeah. Um, but man, it, it'd be nice if we could just dial it back a smidge. That'd yeah. be great. Give you a little breathing room for five minutes. All right, we're gonna bring it back and start the interview. Are you ready? Yeah, sure. <laughs> uh, what was your first job? Uh, Dairy Queen. I was, I, I, uh, I was, I think, 14 years old, and I was making dilly bars and blizzards at Dairy Queen. It was amazing. <laughs> you ever want to go back? <laughs> I haven't eaten at Dairy Queen in decades. Oh, no offense, funny. Dairy Queen. No offense, yeah. Dairy Queen. I, I was, I was getting paid like about three dollars an hour, maybe two eighty-five. I'm old. It was minimum wage. It might have been three fifty. It was around that range. You're not that old. I'm forty three. <laughs> I was. It was. It was a while ago. I was making minimum wage. It was. It was. He was not breaking the law. The guy that ran it. Um, but uh, I probably made another five dollars an hour worth of ice cream into my stomach. You ate it. I I ate my wage, and as did most of my peers and my management, and you know. <laughs> It was one of the perks, you know, the pay was not a perk. It was, it was right. you pretty much had the job there to enjoy yourself. Yeah. I used to work at restaurants and basically it was, we were there for the free meals, especially in college. Mm -hmm. I worked at a country club and they would feed us for every nice. shift and it was solid food every yeah. time. I was like, I love you guys. Thanks for feeding us. <laughs> <laughs> I actually went back to the restaurant I worked at probably the longest um not too long ago a couple of weeks ago and i was like queso yes they have the best queso and i was eating it and i was like hmm, i think i've had better not that great not that great <laughs> i mean it was good our palates our palates get better over time yeah, yeah yeah definitely um so tell us about your career progression just give us cliff notes yeah cliff notes uh so in my early graduated from college and took a took a job locally in wisconsin because mm -hmm. i was seeing a girl at the time and uh it didn't so work it was a bad out. girl didn't work out but I, I took a crappy job not a crappy job i guess i can say that they're out of business but it was a big mutual fund company with about 1200 employees called strong mutual funds hmm. and i was helping them out with some of their early web stuff with y2k stuff with like tax statements and mm -hmm. it was awful um you know it was just not what i wanted to do mm -hmm. and uh you know, it was a fine company. I had good peers, smart peers, but um, I did learn a lot about money, which was great. Um, but as soon as I broke up with uh, 
with that lady. I decided to buy a one-way ticket out to uh, the Valley, to San oh, Francisco wow. area. Um, didn't know anybody, um, didn't have a single friend out there, but that's where all the jobs were. I was a programmer. I wanted to get into the startup game and bought a ticket, packed a bag, and there I went. Um, got a job, had a bunch of jobs, kind of went meh. Uh, learned a lot about entrepreneurship, um, mostly what not to do. We all do. <laughs> we all, like, most of us end up, like, entrepreneurs that are like, mm -hmm, yep, not going to do that and that and that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like parenting, right? You know, we know what parents we don't want to be. Yep. And, and I, I developed a really unhealthy opinion of the venture capital industry um, mm. as a result of them yanking one particular VC, yanking the carpet out of a startup that we were crushing it. Mm. Um, and the NASDAQ went like, boom. And, you know, again, what you, what you don't know what you don't know. Like I thought, hey, we have our $40 million venture capital round. Like we're funded for two years. Mm -hmm. We are good to go. But like they have to write a check every month mm -hmm. and they can decide not to. And they did. And they stopped getting stock. Yeah. But, and they pretty much know that the rest of their investment has been, is going to be gone. Because again, we had, we went from, you know, we had 180 employees or so at a place called iSharp. And our rent was like probably half a million dollars a month or something. That's nuts. It was crazy. I mean, it's probably still, it's probably like it is now, you know, trying to find space around San Francisco for like 180 employees, like kind of good luck. You're probably mm -hmm. going to pay a ton of money in rent um, mm -hmm. somewhere. Which is why they're all remote now. Yeah, that would probably be smarter to have smaller offices, everybody doing this kind of thing. Yeah, every, everybody, everybody I know that ha that works. I know a lot of people who work for companies in the Bay Area, and most of them work remote. And they that work, would be smart. And they live all over the country. Yeah, we it just the tech wasn't quite there 20 years ago. Mm -hmm. um, but that would be a much smarter way to go about it. But uh, internet exploded, startup land exploded, and I came back to Wisconsin and ended up starting a company called Gilware uh, with my brother Tyler and a couple other entrepreneurs. And that went well. And then we took some of that money we were making and invested in a couple other ventures. One of them makes like a ray gun thing called a neutron beam device that's freaking crazy. What does that do? Well, it makes, they set the world record for the most neutrons made by a commercially available uh, machine. And it makes like more neutrons, I think, than like a nuclear reactor does. <laughs> And you basically plug it into the wall. It's crazy. The company's called Phoenix, Wisconsin. Uh, you use it for all kinds of stuff. You can, you can basically use it to do what's called neutron radiography, okay. where it's kind of like an X-ray, but the, let me see if I get this right. So in an X-ray, the, uh, the little things, the photons or the mm -hmm. electrons, or I think it's the photons you're shooting basically interact with the electron cloud of a nuclear, a nucleus. Mm -hmm. And so if you're trying to take x-rays of things that are super duper dense, you can't see, you, you can see like a dense thing inside a low density object. So like mm -hmm. if I, if my son eats a quarter, like you can x-ray it and see that mm -hmm. high density quarter in his stomach, mm -hmm. but you can't see anything low density behind that high density stuff. Mm -hmm. So neutrons interact with the nucleus itself. So you can take, you can see low density crap behind high density stuff. For example, mm 
If you wanted to see like a piece of ceramic that's left over from like a mold and like an airplane wing. Yeah. Or like an airplane turbine blade. Yeah. Then you can see that little tiny piece of crap ceramic sitting there, which is going to crash that airplane. Oh, wow. Because turbine blades are hollow mm -hmm. and they're air cooled. Oh. And if there's any kind of friction in that cooling, that blade's going to melt and then that plane's going to crash. Oh, that's really interesting. So what they had done, like, t you know, as of like 10 years ago, every blade, every time we took on a, every time we got on an airplane, mm -hmm. like a big commercial airplane, mm -hmm. those blades had been sent to a nuclear reactor for this radiography. Oh. So they literally take all these blades, take them to these research reactors or, you know, I don't think usually power reactors, but mm -hmm. they need a bunch of neutrons to do this stuff. But now, you know, they can, they built a place called, uh, the Phoenix, you know, it's called PNIC. It's a nuclear imaging center right here mm -hmm. in uh, Monona, no, Fitchburg, Wisconsin. Mm -hmm. And you can now do that same type of radiography without that little pesky nuclear reactor, which <laughs> they're, just, they, they just call, use the ray gun. They just use the ray gun now. So it's super cool. That is um, really cool. Technology is amazing to me. Yeah. So, and that, in the end, that's, I served on their board for a little bit and helped mm -hmm. them raise some of their early money and like made their first crappy website and <laughs> do like, I did like, I do like every, I've had a couple little consulting gigs with them over the years, but uh, that's awesome. yeah, that's an amazing place. And then that turned into this other thing, which is a crazier story. But uh, we also started a backup company because we, okay. So Gilware was the data recovery company. Mm -hmm. So it's service business still it's around. I'm still involved with it highly. Um, and it's more traditional crashes. So if your business was running on a server and that server died, or if your lap, you had all of your accounting data on your laptop and it died and you didn't have a good backup because mm -hmm. you're a human. And mm -hmm. even now with all the technologies available, still like two thirds of the world's crap isn't backed up. Um, it's, it's insane. It's insane. <laughs> but it happens. And people send us that broken equipment or sometimes humans make mistakes and they push the wrong button and delete mm -hmm. terabytes of data and mm -hmm. they hire us to basically get it all back. So that's a service industry. They, they send us the emergency. We have mechanical engineers, electrical engineers, computer scientists that will do a bunch of nerd stuff and turn it back into your data most of the time. That's awesome. Um, and then we also four years ago uh, started, um, we partnered with a, a wonderful lady named Cindy Murphy um, who is kind of a, I think it's fair to say she's kind of a world thought leader in digital forensics. Yeah, that's cool. Um, and we started Gilware Digital Forensics, which is now, as of like three weeks ago, rebranded into a company called Tetra Defense. And that is the company now that is helping people dig out of these ransomware disasters and these data breach disasters. And then also doing a process called risk management, where mm -hmm. we actually it's a pretty common question after we're kind of helping people dig out of a breach is mm -hmm. how do we make this not happen again? And so now we're doing that and we're helping people make it not happen again. So you're doing it on the front end. Yeah. So we're basically, we're not replacing any of their IT staff. We're not competing mm -hmm. with their MSPs. We're kind of like rent a CISO, you know, so um, it's kind of like a timeshare on a CISO. So it's, <laughs> With a platform, you know, mm -hmm. and one of our benefits 
that a traditional CISO doesn't really have mm -hmm. is we are digging people out of dozens of disasters every week. And we are understanding exactly how people, how the bad guys are breaking in right now, mm -hmm. today. Yeah, so and you have your we, thumb on the pulse of, you know. So then we make sure that all of our clients aren't going to mm -hmm. get burned in that same way, at least. So you used a couple acronyms there, and I'm going to need you to explain them for sure. us. What's a CISO and what's an MSP? Sure. So an MSP is a managed service provider. Okay, so that's like um, your local IT people. Yeah, so uh, I, you probably know more than me, but probably 80% or more of Americans mm -hmm. work at small businesses mm -hmm. with less than 50 employees mm -hmm. and they need IT. Mm -hmm. And if you're sitting there with 30 employees, you really can't afford a full-time IT person. No. Or if you can afford it, do they have enough stuff to do all day for 40 mm -hmm. hours a week? Probably right. not. So you have a timeshare on that. So I am the IT people. <laughs> yeah. When in the earliest days, when, you, you know, you're just getting started with, yeah. you know, w with just getting going, you're going to be your own IT person. And that's mm -hmm. terrifying. It is terrifying. That's a hard place to be. But as soon as, but even, you know, as soon as you have like, I don't know, or I don't really know what the number is, but mm -hmm. you can get an MSP to help you out with a bunch of this stuff. Mm -hmm. eh, probably for like a thousand bucks a month. You know, so at that moment where a business is like, okay, you know, the business itself is generating, pick a number, fifteen mm -hmm. or twenty thousand dollars a month, it probably makes sense to mm -hmm. to take some of that. And in that, even in that moment, though, you're you're spending five percent of your revenue on IT. That yeah. seems pretty stiff. So yeah, I mean, it's it's a tough place to be when you're just getting going. But uh, but yeah, that's what MSP is. Okay. And uh, CISO is Chief Information Security Officer. Okay. And most companies, once they hit a couple hundred employees, mm -hmm. probably should have one, but many of them don't. Mm -hmm. there's, there's even publicly traded companies that don't have CISOs. Huh. It's, this whole thing is kind of, I don't want to say it's new, mm -hmm. but with all these data breach emerging threats coming mm -hmm. and all these big places like Equifax, maybe being the biggest one, mm -hmm. um, you know, these CEOs of these large corporations are having their reputation, mm -hmm. you know, like there's a lot of CEOs that get fired after these data breaches. So a lot of these CEOs and board members are starting to think, well, maybe we should have a CISO. Yeah, maybe we should do the work to actually. Yeah. But it's really hard because there aren't, there's not enough of these humans right now. Oh, really? Oh God, there's probably a million cybersecurity type jobs open in the US right now. Hmm. Um, yeah, we just haven't, there wasn't this big a need 10 years ago. Right. This ransomware thing has and along with some of the just more traditional reasons for data breaches like ip theft and and, and maybe a foreign government wants to disrupt our utilities or something you know mm -hmm. it's there's all these different things coming but mostly it's the exponential growth with the ransomware market mm -hmm. that is there's an increasing amount of bad guys and maybe gals but you know, most of them are guys 
And there's an increased amount of those folks we, out there. We all know there's a gal in the background just like project managing all this. That we're probably, probably, probably. Well, they're more sophisticated organizations than people give them credit for. And a lot oh, of times, yes. a lot of times th this isn't like, again, I think when we think about hackers, or at least when I used to think about hackers, I think of like the Kevin Mitnick type lone wolf, like 14 year old angsty zitty kid who just the, wants the world to burn. In parents' basement. Yeah. <laughs> who just wants the world to burn. And yeah. And I've been that kid, but you know, it's like, it's, that's not what we're dealing with here. You know, we're dealing with sometimes very structured groups of people that are employed kind of like a normal job mm -hmm. and they're, they may even be employed directly or indirectly by a government mm -hmm. where what they're doing is not illegal. It's encouraged because they hate America. Mm -hmm. And if they can have a small group of people in this corner over here, raising tens of millions of dollars for their weapons program or whatever, then, then they're going to be celebrated as heroes. Yeah. I think, you know, I just kind of, because I know about like the tax fraud, like the tax scams and things like that, those are sophisticated people. Like it's a whole network. Like this isn't just like one person, like calling elderly people. Like this is a whole organization with a purpose and a plan and a mission yeah and values around all of this you know so we talk about like positive you know values and mission and whatever that they have those things right they're not falsifying you know irs letters just on a whim but like this takes time and effort and skill and planning to work yeah and and the if you think you could never fall for it, that's the biggest thing to avoid um, with any type of like, oh, I think we're good. It's like, are you? Like, <laughs> like the more confident people are that they're good, usually there's an inverse relationship. Like I'm incredibly nervous about my own systems. Right. All the time. Yep, me too. <laughs> yeah. And part of, part of our role is to help other people not get burned by these things but like mm -hmm. it is as like we know enough to know like wow you know like we do things to make sure that it never happens to us that are that are pretty crazy and i mm -hmm. still worry about it mm -hmm. you know so if i'm nervous everybody should be nervous yeah I yay think, yay <laughs> yeah. it's so funny though because i will like in encounter burners and stuff people are like yeah i got this stuff locked down and i'm like oh man <laughs> This is what keeps me up at night. <laughs> right. Yeah, I, I do my own books with, you know, QuickBooks, and I'm sure yeah. it's fine. I think yeah. it's great. I'm making every every right decision, and I, I think I have every single, you know, write-off I could have, and I think I'm spending the perfect amount of money in yeah. everything. And I'm sure if I go to sell my business someday, those acquirers are going to look at these books and be very happy with everything <laughs> I'm doing. Exactly. Absolutely. That's what's going to happen. Right. <laughs> Until you go to shop it and it's like, what? My business is worth what? Oh, crap. Why? Oh. I know. Actually, yeah. I just talked to somebody yesterday and I was like, you're not taking enough salary. Nobody's ever going to buy this. She was like, oh. I was like, I know. Let's get you guys figured out here. Um, so what does an incidents response company do? I think we, we've kind of talked about yeah. that. Yeah. So we respond to incidents and the incidents that we respond to are data breaches. Data breaches. And then also like the 
like when the hard drives die and computers die. Yeah, that's the, it's a different, I mean, again, those are incidents that we respond to as well, but the, the industry term incident response is mm -hmm. talking about cyber breaches primarily. Okay. Um, and that is what Tetra defense responds to those incidents. So first we have to basically understand the breach. Mm -hmm. We have to quarantine a bunch of stuff, mm -hmm. make sure it's, we kind of stop the spread we have to try to find any back doors that the bad guys have left, which they usually will do so, um, to get back in later. Mm -hmm. We so you have, have to diagnose. Diagnose, yeah, treat. And then we have to, usually we have to facilitate a ransom payment. Mm. Um, it is sometimes that we can recover the data without uh, paying the, the ransomers because there is, uh, something we can do from a technical perspective to get mm -hmm. at the backups that they've attempted to destroy, but maybe mm -hmm. they, maybe they didn't quite kill. Mm -hmm. They killed them, but maybe we can resurrect them. Mm -hmm. um, but more than not, more often than not, we have to, you know, work with the cyber insurance companies and to, to basically facilitate that payment purchase the decryptors, which are the pieces of software and the unique encryption certificates to then decrypt and give Jamie her own data back. Dang, man. Um, so after you make this large payment, you have your own stuff again. So congratulations, you're back to baseline, kind of. Mm -hmm. um, but then we also have to work with privacy attorneys and, mm -hmm. and the company's general counsels to figure out, okay, who are we required by law to disclose this to? Mm -hmm. And maybe from a moral perspective, who should we disclose it to anyway? yeah should we talk to you about this and or let them know and do we need to like buy like lifelock for 10,000 clients for the next five years <laughs> type of stuff uh, okay there's going to uh, be an industry there's going to be some of that happening here soon probably yeah with a very big player in your industry yeah i'm pretty sure so um, what are some of the greatest IT threats to the small business community? Uh, I mean, kind of what we're talking about, yeah. you know, as a small business owner, you know, you imagine, okay, I'm going, my business is generating enough money so it's, I can take a salary for the first time and right. boy, does that feel good. You know, it's amazing. Um, well, if you, if you walk up to your computer and all your data is encrypted, and there's a ransom demand for fifty thousand mm -hmm. dollars. It's a tough decision, right? Mm -hmm. If you have to pay out of pocket, are you going to go to bank for a loan? Are you going to? A lot of times, you're just going to say, "Uh, oh well." I guess <laughs> if that data is something that you can't reproduce, mm -hmm. um, you might end up just shutting your business down. Mm -hmm. um, or again, if you're in a business where a lot of that data was your client's data, mm -hmm. maybe it's going to kill your business that way because your clients are going to be so mad that their data got stolen. Yeah. And their information is out there in the wind now. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, so I think data breach is bad. Um, so the good news is there's some pretty easy things that most, many small business owners aren't doing mm -hmm. that, they can, that they can do to try to prevent some of this stuff. So the first is have backups and they're like, oh, I have backups. And then one of my next questions is usually, well, when's the last time you audited them? Mm -hmm. How do you restore from them? Uh, were they complete with all of your information and what was the timestamp on them? 
Mm -hmm. um, and does that service have a two-factored authentication so that if a bad guy were to breach you and has a bunch of your authentication, can they do anything to log in to destroy that backup? Mm -hmm. If that backup's on the same network as your primary, mm -hmm. it's really not a backup today. That's the way people used to be able to back things up. You know, so it's, it's, everybody knew a backup's not a backup if it's on the same computer. Mm -hmm. But now a backup's not a backup if it's on the same network. Oh, wow. Okay. You want a different layer of network authentication between your primary data and your, and your backup data. Because we're worried about the situation where your primary network is breached by bad guys who have all the authentication they need to run wild. Mm -hmm. So we want to make it extra hard for them to then get at those backups and do any damage to them. Right. right. So if, because if, if they take or do something with the original data, then, you know, it has to all be restored. Right. Well, right. And the pro and some of these backups are almost too sophisticated where they're almost backing up like in real time. Mm -hmm. Sometimes some of the really cheap ones without revision history. So, hey, the good news is all my data is backed up. And then you go to your backup and it's all encrypted just like your primary is because it backed up the crappy encrypted data. Oh, wow. And some of the really cheap consumer grade backup services, if you delete stuff from your primary, mm -hmm. the backup service is like, oh, Jamie didn't think that data is important anymore. Let's delete it from our servers too. Hmm. And they're not smart enough to think about, well, maybe a bad guy deleted all that crap. <laughs> so the devil's in the details with these backups. Right. And a lot of small business owners, they have no idea how their data is backed up, mm -hmm. what the service is, mm -hmm. what the disaster plan is. Mm -hmm. They say, oh, my IT guy does that. Mm. Does he? Right. Does he? How do you know? Have you asked him mm -hmm. for the one page disaster plan? Have you mm -hmm. asked him the last time he audited your backups? Right. Did you ask him if it has again, two-factor authentication to get into those backups. Did you ask him if it has revision history or snapshotting? Um, I want to, as a business owner, when I have my annual meeting with that MSP, mm -hmm. I want to see the audits. I want him or he or she to show me an actual audit log of here is the last time we did a mock restore from your backups. Mm. Here's where all your accounting data lives. Here's where all your veterinary x-rays mm. live. Mm -hmm. Here's where your client database is. Here's all your emails. Here's your client lists. Here's your marketing materials. Here's your website. And yes, all seven of these nodes restored from backup. All of the timestamps were January 7th. And, you know, <clears throat> it works. Mm -hmm. So we have the backup. It's on a different network. It's got a different layer of network authentication and it actually is complete and good. And if I'm paying an IT person every month or every year for a service, and part of that is of course backup, mm -hmm. I want to see the audits of them doing that mock restore and the results of it. And I also want to know how long it takes mm. because also what happens sometimes is like, okay, we had a disaster. Let's go to the backups. And about eight days later, the backups are restored. And that can be a big problem. Especially you know, in the middle of tax season. 
it may be in the middle of tax season if you have you know hundreds of you know accountants that are on a platform and maybe mm -hmm. that platform got hosed for four days <laughs> just you know theoretically for example <laughs> <laughs> yeah it, it may maybe their backups are slow as heck or who knows what's going on again they're I don't even know who we're talking about right now. And, yeah. they're, and they're probably not clients of ours. And they're not, I don't think. But they are. I'm not talking about them. But we've never mentioned a name. So who knows what the heck we're talking about? It could be Nobody anybody. Knows. Nobody knows. This, this goes up in like three months. So Yeah, it'll be, it'll be all... long. There'll be 57 more breaches in between then and now. Totally. Um, so actually, I had, a really, I had a question for you. So can you give us um, a high-level pros and cons of doing cloud-based computing versus server-based? Sure. So um, I think one of the biggest dangers of the cloud mm -hmm. is that people don't really know what it is. Um, mm -hmm. It's not true to say the cloud is just a server on the internet. That's actually not true. Mm -hmm. if, if you are calling yourself a true cloud, mm -hmm. um, there is going to be a much bigger built-in block level redundancy so mm -hmm. that you won't lose your data if, if like a cloud provider has a single hard drive go bad or something mm -hmm. right mm -hmm. so that is a lot more robust and a lot more redundant mm -hmm. um, now and a lot of cloud providers will be providing snapshotting under the covers so like every day or every month it's taking kind of a point in time snapshot that you can restore to if you ever need to Mm -hmm. Not all, not always, and whatever the frequency of that is, you know, could benefit you someday or not. Mm -hmm. um, but again, the devil is in the details for how this stuff is. And at least with an on-premise server, you have more knowledge of, of mm -hmm. what it is that you're buying mm -hmm. and what it is, what its weaknesses and strengths are. Mm -hmm. um, and again, like sometimes organizations can say like, yep, we're a software company. And then we also made a cloud for you guys. And sometimes a real infrastructure person might look at it and be like, well, you know, your cloud kind of sucks. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, what's the, who's rubber stamping? Who's the third party that's saying, yeah, that's a cloud, all right. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, so you gotta be careful. Um, obviously one of the big benefits Small businesses these days don't really want to have a bunch of on-premise hardware and servers and, okay, it's eight years old and it's dying and now I got to buy something else and somebody's going to migrate something. It definitely gets us out of all that type of crap. Mm -hmm. It lets us amortize the cost of that over time, which, you know, you'll pay more, but it is super nice. Mm -hmm. um, but the biggest advice I have is that's where the world is going. And most mm -hmm. of your clients and most of the people watching who are small business owners are going to have a lot of their data in this cloud. Mm -hmm. It doesn't absolve you as the business owner or it doesn't absolve your managed service provider from having an off network off that cloud backup. Mm -hmm. It might be to a different cloud. Mm -hmm. And then you need to make sure that the, the way that you back the data up should be platform agnostic. Mm. So there are some companies, some cloud companies like Salesforce who do a really good job of this, mm. where, you know, you can export your data in backups in like almost a XML type format, where it's really not, it's like, yep, you're backed up and you can only import it back into Salesforce. Mm. 
you know, because sometimes companies are smaller than Salesforce and sometimes those companies maybe have big disruptions or maybe they go out of business. Yeah. So, you know, we use a lot of apps. So that's where, you know, things kind of get kind of fuzzy for me. You know, I know I can, you know, back up stuff off of a server and I know like, but like if we're using cloud-based apps for accounting and for, you know, data and for, you know, how do we back all that up? It's gonna, Is it that's best just, to just sync it to each other? How do we? Well, again, so it's going to vary from app to app to app mm -hmm, to yeah. service to service to service. And mm -hmm. part of your criteria for picking a vendor is mm -hmm. that there should be, you know, if I'm an MSP, which I'm not, but if mm -hmm. I was a managed service provider and one of my, you know, a veterinary clinic was asking me, okay, like I want to use this veterinary service to basically mm -hmm. have all of my patient data in the cloud mm -hmm. and all of my accounting and my CRM and my point of sale and they provide all of it for me. It's great. Mm -hmm. um, you know, one of my questions when we're trying to pick a provider for that is how do we back it up? Mm -hmm. And is it going to be platform agnostic? And I'm going to try to convince the business owner like, yeah, I know that one has a couple more bells and whistles, but from the infrastructure perspective, this other one looks superior to me. Right. Because um, it's easier to back up. Well, and, and again, like, usually if you're the kind of company that's building like that type of infrastructure for a particular vertical, mm -hmm. you're going to do all the super cool feature stuff first. Mm -hmm. Like you don't have any clients day one. So all the infrastructure stuff lags. Mm -hmm. And then maybe once you have a whole bunch of clients, then you start to get serious about infrastructure. Mm -hmm. So what can happen when you're trying to shop as a consumer in this market is, boy, these guys have the jazziest looking product and the coolest YouTube marketing and the price point is cheaper than everything else I look at. And they keep hitting me up on Instagram. And they're hitting me up on Instagram because they're, they're kind of younger and they're savvy and they're crushing mm -hmm. it mm -hmm. with the front end and it's, it's got all the bells and whistles. And then that old stodgy company that's been doing the same thing for 20 years that already has 100,000 clients mm -hmm. on their platform isn't as snazzy and is probably more expensive, mm -hmm. but then also has the best infrastructure. Yeah, that's, and I, I think maybe that's like why I'm kind of like, anytime there's like a new accounting software or something that comes up, I'm like, mm, we'll see what happens. <laughs> like, I'll just wait. Um, yeah, and, and again, I'm going to stick with the company, which probably, you know, they've been around for a really long time. Yeah, they maybe even have a higher chance of getting breached. Maybe who knows? But yeah, I mean, in there's a lot of industries that lag technology and and accounting and CPAs is certainly kind of one of them. Totally one of them. Um, <laughs> and again, it's like there's but there's really good reasons why they lag. Mm -hmm. You know, you don't really want to be on the bleeding edge with stuff as important as it is as what you do. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. It's interesting because in the accounting industry, you either have people who are like super early adopters or you have like the people who are still doing paper files. Like there's the in-between is interesting, but it's more of like everything's in the cloud or everything's paper because <laughs> they don't yeah. trust it. Yeah, well, the bad guys can't encrypt paper. No, but they can break in and grab all your files. They could, but they're probably overseas. So yeah. it's going to... There's, not that there's not bad guys here in the States, but, you know, physical yeah. security, you can, you can, 
you can do a pretty good job of physical security. Yeah, interesting. Okay. Um, so you kind of started with your top tips for IT security for small businesses. So backups. Well, the next one I would, I would, I would backups they are. the next one I would say isn't even like a technology tip. Mm -hmm. um, when you hit the level of at your business where you would recommend that they have business insurance. Mm -hmm. At that same moment, it probably makes sense to spend 10% more and get a cyber insurance policy. Mm -hmm. So again, this is where I think the CPA community can really help be kind of an advocate for change. Mm -hmm. um, Cause you're probably used to that. Like, oh, okay. Like you're spending too much or not enough on insurance. That's probably something that you do with your clients yeah, already. You at. Mm -hmm. Like you don't have enough of it. Right. You mm -hmm. don't have enough of it is probably the thing you see the most. Mm -hmm. And you're going to have another asterisk to add on that. Like you don't have enough of it. And if you don't have a cyber insurance specific policy or a, mm -hmm. a rider on your core insurance policy for mm -hmm. cyber, then you might be in that situation that we all end up in where we have this insurance, but then when we need it, it actually doesn't apply. Mm -hmm. And that's yeah. super frustrating, you know, whether it's a, what do you mean I didn't have like flood insurance on my house? Like, what do you mean I didn't have mold insurance? Like, I didn't right. even know that was a thing. Like, right. <laughs> yeah, it's actually interesting. I mean, just been doing this for so long. Um, they started adding like cyber insurance writers like 20-ish years ago, 15, 20 years ago, I remember seeing them. And I'm like, that's interesting. They've become very popular in the last three years. Yes, very popular in the last three years. And mine's attached to my professional liability. So mine's an additional amount on my, you know, professional liability. So it's really easy to, so that's the thing too, is like all of our insurance people, they offer it. We just, right. uh, you know, and like, and they um, want to sell it very badly. Yeah. Well, yeah. Like my professional insurance, they're like, here you go, please, please buy this too. Like, but know. again, pay attention. The devil's in the details. Um, yeah. What is, how, how much, you know, like if you are ransomed someday, which hopefully you're not because mm -hmm. you pay attention to this and, and talk to your MSP about it. But, um, you know, if you do get ransomed someday, what is the coverage? You know, mm -hmm. it, like I have ransomware insurance and it's going to cover me for $2,500 worth of Bitcoins. And, you know, the average we're seeing is 10 times that or more. So, mm -hmm. you know, you got to be careful. Make sure you have it and then know what the coverage amounts are. Just like any other insurance. Yep. And don't assume because you have professional liability that it includes cyber insurance. Oh, correct. It almost certainly doesn't. Mm -mm. It, it probably it, it probably excludes it intentionally. Probably says in bold letters somewhere, all caps. Yeah, it probably does. You yeah. know, so again, I hate to tell people advice to read that insurance stuff because oof, oof. that's brutal. It uh, is brutal. Uh, or have your send it, upload it to your accounting people and ask them to look yep. at it because that's they should know idea. what they're looking at. Yeah, that's probably a better idea. Um, just like your MSPs can probably handle a lot of this nerd stuff with the backup stuff too. But mm -hmm. um, you know, as as business owners, you know, you you have to build that network of trusted advisors. Otherwise, if a business owner is dealing with this type of stuff all the time, whether it's mm -hmm. IT or accounting, well, then they're not going to be actually probably doing a great job doing whatever it is they're supposed to be doing all day. Mm -hmm. You know, so you re this is one of those things where you need to outsource, but you need to be very, very careful yeah. with who you pick. Uh, as far as next tips go, um, 
if you're doing a lot of work remotely and like you have that like on-premise server or you mm -hmm. need like remote into your desktop to do everything because you're traveling with a laptop a lot, you need a real firewall. Mm -hmm. um, so if you're a small office with like a couple dozen people and people need to work remotely, you need, you need to have a big piece of hardware firewall in front of your network. And it needs to have at least, it has some, some flavor of multi-factor authentication to get on the network. Um, be very careful, especially as a small business owner. There's a lot of ways to kind of end around networks with things like TeamViewer. Mm -hmm. And, you know, make sure you have a policy for your business about, you know, who can install software, period. Mm -hmm. You know, again, if you have like a small business of kind of one to 20 employees, nobody, including the CEO or, you know, the, the general management, they should not have the ability to install software on their own computers. Mm -hmm. So user permissions are a big deal. If you need to install software, then you need to, you know, it might still be you, mm -hmm. but you have to override that authentication with the administrative authentication, mm -hmm. right? Which you're not oh, totally. living, you're not living in auth in that mode. And, and if one of your, it, it helps because sometimes employees make mistakes. They're like, oh, I need some software to do something. And they Google it and they download it and they install it. And that software has big privacy problems in it. Mm -hmm. It's not just a piece of like malware. It's a net, it's like a piece of spyware. Mm -hmm. And it's like, oh, it's just spyware. What are they doing with it? Well, what they could be doing with it is like scraping all of the keystrokes from the keyboard and sending it to some dude in Iran. Like mm -hmm. that, that might be happening with it. Mm -hmm. So you want to make sure your users have appropriate permissions. And again, this is something that, you should be paying an MSP who really knows what they're doing to set up your domain controller and your, all your users and how they authenticate intelligently. Mm -hmm. You need to be patching your stuff. Um, a lot of these breaches happen because of unpatched operating system or unpatched firmware. Mm -hmm. um, you know, there, Microsoft has problems. Mac, you know, Apple has problems. Mm -hmm. These problems get uncovered by security researchers and then they get published and then they get patched. But if you don't patch them, yeah. you have a big problem. If you don't uh, run your updates and do all that. Yeah. Um, as far as just a general like solopreneur, somebody who's getting started, I would right off the jump switch to, uh, there's a $40 product on Amazon called a YubiKey. Mm -hmm. And it basically just does authentication for you. That's awesome. And you need to have a physical key and it has a USB and it does uh, near frequency stuff. So you can like, if I'm on my phone, I can mm -hmm. just, it's like almost like Bluetooth, mm -hmm. you know, where you push the button and it authenticates me. Um, it automatically on any site that only supports username and password, which is pretty ghetto. Mm -hmm. um, it automatically will make big, long, nasty passwords and authenticate you. Um, but then it also, you know, when you go to log in, you physically need to have that key mm. and, you, and you need to be present. So if you leave it plugged into your laptop and somebody breached that laptop and want to try to log in, like, well, you have to be there to push the button. Mm. So it really gets past the biggest problem that most people have, which is they have like three or four passwords and there's like dictionary words in them or like the name of the street they grew up on or the name of their dog or, and all of this crap is 
easily obtainable on the internet these days. Mm-hmm. Like if you want to freak yourself out, go to a website. And I don't know, I haven't done it in a while, but if you go to familytreenow.com, mm-hmm. this is a website where usually you can just put in your information and it'll show you every address you've ever lived at. Mm-hmm. It'll show you all of your relatives, mm-hmm. your kids. I mean, just go through their Facebook surveys that they've, that they've, that, you know, entered all that information into and you can get some passwords. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It's pretty easy. Um, And then again, part of the problem is people get fished Mm -hmm. and like, Oh man, I could never get fished. And it's like, well, what if you're in like an internet, what if you're at McDonald's Mm -hmm. or you're in the airport and you click on the McDonald's free Wi-Fi, and you say, then you go to your Gmail Mm -hmm. and you enter your Gmail username and password. The problem is that Wi-Fi is a bad mojo, bad Wi-Fi. Mm-hmm. And you, you, you can, and this is complicated stuff. Yes. But a sophisticated hacker can basically override DNS, which says Gmail goes to this IP address. Well, maybe now it goes to his IP address. Mm. And the Gmail, it looks like Gmail that you're logging into because it takes about two seconds to, to host a little fake website like that. Mm-hmm but it's not actually Gmail hmm. or maybe they're super sophisticated and they say, okay, he's trying to log into Gmail and they'll, they'll capture that HTTP post and then they'll just forge it to the real Gmail. So you don't even know what happened. <laughs> and now that, smart. <laughs> there's these bad guys are freaking smart. So you yeah. want to have a different username and password or not different username necessarily, but a different mm-hmm. password for everything, mm-hmm. for everything. Mm-hmm. And if you can remember it in your brain, it's probably a bad password. Mm. So this is one of those areas where technology helps you spend the 40 bucks mm-hmm. and get one of these little doohickeys that does U2F or universal two-factor. Now, if you want to log into stuff and you don't have your doohickey, well, then you got a problem. So there's always trade-offs. Mm-hmm. And if you put your doohickey, you know, through the laundry, well, then you might be sad. So buy two of them and back them up it's so funny so we just signed up for a single sign-on solution and so anything that's client that is client sensitive it's all encrypted on the back end i don't even have access to the passwords so which is awesome but now we're like i went to log into something and i was like oh i don't have the password well that's not gonna work (laughs) and i was like oh well i guess i don't need it right i don't need to log into quickbooks on my phone yeah like I was going to take pictures of, of receipts, but I was like, I can just take pictures and email them to myself. Like, I don't have to, I don't have to have access to all this stuff. And it actually kind of makes me, you know, second guess, like I wanted to do this. Oh, but I can't because I don't have access, which is actually a good thing. Well, then that's, that's how somebody who understands what's going on is going to think. But mm-hmm. the problem with a lot of these different security measures is that there is a productivity or mild annoyance trade-off. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I knew that. And I told, and I told my, I told my staff, you're not going to be allowed, you're going to have access to this stuff. And that's, that's the purpose. But a lot of the times the data breaches happen mm-hmm. because there's an executive mm-hmm. who's maybe a little longer in the tooth, who's at some of these companies. And the, the, the good guys, the IT guys, the MSP or their, or their staff say, mm-hmm. we're moving to this service. And now when you need to log into this network, you need to do this stuff here. Mm-hmm. And he's like, I'm not doing that my dog's name and my daughter's birthday. <laughs> I can't figure this out. I'm not doing it. And that's really awkward because that old stodgy person might be the one that cashes your, ch- or you, he writes the checks that you cash. Mm-hmm. He's, you know, on the org chart. Mm-hmm. 
that's my boss and my boss is telling me they're not going to do something. Mm -hmm. It's, it's an awkward thing when you're an IT provider mm -hmm. who yeah. can get fired or an, or an internal employee who's like, okay, that dude is, I guess we'll just let him do it. Yeah. With it on the sticky note. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I just have all my passwords on some 3M notes that are stuck to my monitor. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Although I guess it's probably better than saving it somewhere that somebody can hack, right? Maybe. Mm. Although again, it, th there are crimes of opportunity and the, the cleaning staff, or maybe that malicious employee is at your desk one day. It's like, huh, and just pulls out the cell phone and, and it's like, hey, if you ever fire me, I can do some damage. <laughs> well, oh, that, man. Those are some of the other things we see is a lot of malicious employee and sometimes malicious ex-employee behavior as well. Mm. Well, be nice to your employees. It's the easiest way to not get breached, right? Uh, there's no, yeah, there's just give up. Everybody yeah. should just give up. Right? Or just, yeah, five minutes to see the world just save. Just stay saved. <laughs> we should all go back to paper. I love it. Um, so before I ask my last question, uh, what is the easiest way for people to find you? LinkedIn. So LinkedIn. Uh, yeah. if you just kind of Google for Brian Gill, Gilware on uh, on LinkedIn, you'll you'll find me. I'll pop right up. Mm -hmm. Reach out, connect. I'm one of those open people. I'll connect with just about everybody. Mm -hmm. You've got that extrovert stuff going on. But... No, I don't. <laughs> I know. Only, only my LinkedIn persona. I know. Everybody's always like, wow, you're an extroverted CPA. And I'm like, no, no, I'm really not. I just know I have to grow my business like this. So yeah, I'm just doing the thing. You and me both. Um, so final question. What is the one thing every business should be doing today to mitigate a tech disaster? What would be like that number one? Hire a really good MSP and make sure that your accounting provider agrees that you're spending enough on IT in general. Those are all good. Those are all good. Um, yeah, you know, I, I'll look at, we'll look at books sometimes and I'll be like, do you have an IT person? Or, you know, especially when we're dealing with the veterinarians and like anything that's, you know, our medical, I was like, this is needs to be part of your budget. You know, you have to have, because if well, this and, doesn't and, work, it all goes down and you have to close the doors. Well, and sometimes, you're, again, clients can be in regulated industries mm -hmm. and they don't, they don't even know what laws got passed the year before. Mm -hmm. And they, there can be some pretty serious fines in some of these industries for not having good IT. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, for, for and I think I told you this the first time we talked, but in the IRS now, when we renew our prepare tax ID number, we have to say that we have a cybersecurity plan. Like cool. we had to verify that because in our industry, anytime something happens, we have to alert the IRS and the IRS has to allocate time and effort and funds to help yep. on our end. So how did they prove how, what, what, what's your process for like getting certified or whatever? I don't, you just have to say you do have one. It's, yeah. It sucks. You know, but, but they've just, they've added that. That's going to, that's going to change. It is going to change they're, I'm sure they're going to add to it or, and they're going to ask you to upload it or whatever, but. Right. You know, and again, there are some, there are definitely a lot of companies that, especially that do things for the federal government mm -hmm. that right now are running around like crazy because there's a lot of new federal regulation that say, that says you not only have to have certain cyber policies in place, but there's actually like certification paths I think it's CMMC is the new thing that just got hmm. published a couple months ago. And like, if you're making stuff that's anywhere in the supply chain for like a submarine or something, mm -hmm. even if like your company makes the bolts, like you're going to have to be CMMC something level mm -hmm. certified in order to 
be in that supply chain That's really because they can't have that submarine not getting built because the bolt guy got encrypted. Oh my gosh. Right. <laughs> so everyone's going to have to know, and this is part of the biggest problem, but yeah, it's one of those things where I think probably every business owner, even the ones like myself who just disdain bookkeeping, mm-hmm. like everybody should know a little bit about it. Mm-hmm. And IT is the same way. And this cyber stuff is the same way. Like yeah, you can't, I've, you, you got to know a little bit. Yeah, I've You got to know enough to hold your IT folks accountable. Yeah, I probably spent about a good 40, 50, 60 hours researching stuff at the beginning of the year because I was like, something has to happen. We need, I need, I need user provisioning. I need, you know, there's stuff I need. Um, and I spent hours upon hours trying to figure the heck out what was the best solution. But also I had to figure out what the heck half of this stuff meant. <laughs> yeah. Well, and then being armed as a consumer, it's like anything else. Mm-hmm. Now you're in great position as your business grows mm-hmm. to then shop around intelligently with these IT folks and say, yep, this yeah. is the one. This yeah. is the one that I'm going to work with because before I even mentioned a bunch of this stuff, he told me this is how they do it. Yeah. And it was, it was really interesting because then I, I realized I wanted, I figured out I wanted a single sign-on solution, right? So I, I knew what I wanted. Um, and I was looking at different options and, you know, Google does one and so-and-so does one and Rippling does one. And, you know, we actually end up, ended up going with a company in Australia, Practice Protect. They're amazing. Um, but they've been doing this longer. So I was kind of looking at two different options because they were enterprise range and for our type of business. And I liked some features of one and I liked some features of the other. Um, but I knew what questions to ask. Um, and I knew what I was looking for. Yep. Um, and I was like, you do backend and encrypted passports? Okay, that's much more important to me than the HR piece or whatever, you know, whatever they had. So at least I kind of understood at least what the features were. And I well, wasn't like, just... We, my business had a marketing automation platform, mm-hmm. you know, that uh, I won't mention their name, but they're a big one. And they've mm-hmm. got, they're, I think they're publicly traded. They've got, mm-hmm. They had tens of thousands of customers, mm-hmm. businesses that were doing all of their Marcom. Mm-hmm. Um, and we actually fired them and flipped to one of their competitors mm-hmm. like 18 months ago because they did not have two-factor authentication. So all you needed to do, and this is a big publicly traded company, all you needed to do to like download my whole list of clients and every piece of information I had in that marketing database was a username and a password. It's like, whoa, that's not good enough. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, hire a really good, you know, MSP. And, but also I think Brian, you would say, turn on that two-factor authentication. Everywhere. Absolutely everything you have the option on. Everywhere. And then if it doesn't have it, think about what you are putting there. Mm-hmm. No, absolutely. I mean, if you don't have at least a second factor authentication, and almost everything does, mm-hmm. 95% of what is going on, mm-hmm. whether it's Google or Facebooks or Twitters or your accounting your bank, software, your, your bank, banks, your tax, almost everything. everything has a second factor now. And mm-hmm. if what you're doing doesn't, you know, hopefully it's like your chili recipes, <laughs> right? <laughs> Because it better not be important. Right. No. And that's, and I, I know that's one of the things I've, one of the things we I've done is made sure that everything had, everything that we have the option to, everything's been turned on. Um, and that gives me just a lot more peace of mind because every time I log in, I have to, you know, pull out my authenticator yeah. or I have to get a text or whatever. 
Um, and it just makes me feel better. Because, and you should. Because you know. I can't access this. That means other people can't access it. Yeah, that's right. Me. That's the that's the healthy way to think about like, mm -hmm. oh, instead of being like super annoyed, like, oh, mm -hmm. I got to turn this off. But thinking about like every time, like I also get a little bit happy every time it takes me five more seconds to do something. I I don't mind. I don't mind at all. It makes me feel much more secure about our client's data. And then I get to sleep at night. <laughs> yeah. It's a little better. Sleep is good. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Brian. Thank you so much, Jamie. It was a lot of fun. Thank you so much for listening or watching. Be sure to subscribe on YouTube, iTunes, or wherever you prefer to listen. If you learned something and found some useful information to apply to your business today, please consider giving us a thumbs up and a review. Until next week, be abundant. Be abundant.